I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28. Again, this is, instead of going into the Sermon on the Mount series, uh, we were talking and, and thinking about getting back to this, this uh, vision of making disciples that we've talked about earlier this year. And um, sometimes vision casting takes a little bit of mechanics and, and talking about how that actually works and things like that. So it's, it's a little bit different of a, of a sermon this morning. There's, there's a little bit more data compact into one, uh, one time together than I normally like, but I, I figured it'd be best to do it this way. Next week, Pastor Mike is going to be preaching for us. Uh, I'm going to be taking a couple days this week and uh, devoting them to writing uh, for my doctoral project. And so Mike is going to be preaching this next Sunday for us. And so uh, pray for him as he prepares and pray for me as I write. And, uh, and that uh, yeah, I'm doing some revisions of, of a second chapter and starting a third chapter. And so I uh, just pray that I can, I can get some of that stuff done. Uh, writing is, is not something that comes easily to me. I have to really work hard at it, so I would appreciate your prayers on that. Matthew 28, we, we looked at this text a few weeks ago, and it says this. It says in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we looked at that text and we said there's really one command there, and that's to make disciples. And the other words that have that imperatival force with it are ways that tell us how to make those disciples. And so we said that this, this, is, this is the reason why we're here. We're, we're, we're here. God, God has left us here so that we will make disciples. Because if it was just simply so that we would have eternity in heaven, then as soon as we would be saved, uh, as soon as we ask Christ to save us from our sins, then he would just take us into heaven then at that point. But he, didn't, he doesn't do that. He, he leaves us here on this earth. And, and, he, and we live our lives here. And there's a reason why we're supposed to live our lives here. And, and we see this here in Matthew 28. And so we really want to get back to this, this why. Why are we here it's imperative that, that we all understand why we are here, and that is to make disciples. And so we'll be looking at several different texts here in a few minutes as we, as we unpack this. Um, but let's just ask God's blessing right now. Father, I just want to pause and I want to, I want to confess that, that if anything good is going to happen over the next few minutes here, it's because... It's going to be because your spirit does the work. Uh, we don't have talents and abilities to, to change people or, or even of our own heart. And so we want to pause right now and we want to recognize our dependence upon you. And we want to ask that, that, that your spirit would have free reign here. And there are a lot of things that would distract us right now. And, and we know we have an enemy that would want us to uh, be distracted and not pay attention to your word. And so I pray right now that, that your spirit would, would remove those distractions and remove any opposition that we may be feeling right now. 
Help us to focus not on on any person, but uh, except for Jesus. Help us to focus on uh, and not be uh, distracted by any words of the sermon, except uh, let us focus on the words of the scripture. And and so I just pray that that this time would be uh, a time that brings honor and glory to you, and that and that we are we are helped because of of looking at these various passages of Scripture this morning. So thank you for your goodness to us, and we recognize our dependence upon you. In Christ's name, amen. I read this in a book uh, recently. It said this, uh, on, a, on a cold January day, a 43-year-old man was sworn in as the chief executive of his country. Uh, by his side stood his predecessor, a famous general who 15 years earlier had commanded his nation's armed forces in a war that resulted in the defeat of Germany. The young leader was raised in a Roman Catholic faith. He spent the next five hours watching parades in his armor, uh, honor and stayed up until 3 o'clock in the morning celebrating. And of course, I'm talking about Adolf Hitler. Now, a lot of people would think that I was talking about John F. Kennedy. The date of this was January 20th, 1933. Now, the point I want to make with that is that we all instinctively make assumptions. As I was reading that, my mind went to JFK. And maybe some of you, as you were hearing me describe this person, your mind went to JFK. And we make assumptions about the reality around us or the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I think that when it comes to this idea of making disciples, we often make a lot of assumptions. We can make assumptions about that first that we even know what a disciple is. And then we can make the assumption that we're, we are doing it, that, that by virtue of being here and, and, and being a part of this church for years, some of you have been a member of the church for years, uh, by virtue of just being part of this assembly, that we are doing that, or, or by virtue of the fact that we have an Awana program, we have nursery, we have junior church, we have uh, 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 different ministries and things like that, we have adult discipleship hour. And, and because we have those things going on, it would be easy for us just to assume that disciples are being made. But what I want us to do today, I want us to, to, to stop and look and start to examine this, and this idea of... What is a disciple? Are we progressing in our discipleship as individuals? Are we producing disciples? Sometimes we just assume that we are, and I think we need to stop and look at this. So the first point is you look at this, this uh, outline that you have before you there. There's, there's, instead of numbers, there's, there's a three-centric, uh, uh, whatever that word I'm trying to say is, Circles inside of each other um, there. And, um, and we're going to start from the inside and work our way out. And so the inside circle is, is all about the question, why? Okay, that's the question. That's the word we want to write about that is why. Why? And that gets to the heart of everything there. And so, so you see there that middle circle there is, is the why. And the answer to that is, is that we exist to glorify God by making disciples. So we need to ask ourselves, why are we here? Why are we part of this church? What is our purpose? And the purpose is to make disciples. So what is a disciple? A disciple defined by just 
lexical definitions is a learner or a follower. That's what the word means, a learner or a follower. One who learns or one who follows. But it, it can be even a little bit more uh, uh, precise than that. And it, it can be to learn through experience or habit. I think I have these on the screen for you there. There we go. Disciple defined. And then we got those two there. A learner or a follower. And then to learn through experience or habit is the second one. I like what Christopher Ad said in his book, Personal Disciple Making. Says, he says a disciple is a person in process. So really what we need to understand is that we're talking about more than just simple belief in Jesus. When we say, what is a disciple of, uh, of Jesus? It's not someone who just says, yes, I believe that Jesus exists. Or I believe that Jesus existed. Because, I mean, we know that even the demons believed in that. Even the demons understood that Jesus was God. In fact, in our family worship time, we just read in Mark uh, about how when Jesus, he was healing people and, and the demons, they recognized him. And Jesus told the demons, he says, look, my time's not ready to be revealed yet. Don't talk about me. But even the demons recognized that Jesus was the son of God. And so, so we have to say, but are they disciples of Jesus? Well, of course not. And so we know that, and by looking at the even the lexical definition here, that there's something more than just someone who believes that Jesus existed. Or say that they would believe in Jesus. And so the idea is someone who's learning, someone who's in, in process here. And so the disciple that Jesus wants are people in process. They're people growing in their relationship with him. And so as we look at, okay, if this is the reason why we're here, if we're here to see disciples made, and so we need to understand what is a disciple. So we can't be satisfied with just someone who says, yes, I believe in Jesus. We have to say that, no, there's something different here. And the fact that it's someone that is growing or someone that is learning more about Jesus and they are in a process. And so what we want to see is we want to see in our own lives first and then in the lives of people around us, we want to see people progress progressing in their spiritual relationship. So a good exercise to start with right now is just think about your own self. Where are you at today as opposed to a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago? Is there a progression of your faith in Christ? Is there a progression in your discipleship, in your fellowship of Jesus Christ? Now, ideally, we would kind of like it to, and I didn't put any graphs up here, but if you can just imagine this, we would kind of like to start here and then this kind of nice gradual slope up, right? That's what we would like, okay? Now, discipleship process actually is more like this, okay? And there's, there's good days and there's bad days, but over the time, there's growth in our walk with Christ, and so that's what we're looking for. And so when we say if, if, our, if our purpose here, if we are here to glorify God through making disciples, that's the why we're here, we need to understand what that is. Because we can't do any type of evaluation. We can't do any type of planning unless we know exactly what it is that we're looking for. So how are disciples described? Here's where I want to take the bulk of our time this morning. The weight of our current time is going to be in the next six points following this point of what the disciple described. Then we'll talk about how and the what, and we'll work through that as we go through different passages of scriptures. Go over to Luke, Luke chapter 9, please. Luke chapter 9. What I decided to do this morning is I wanted to go through several passages of scripture that are very clear about what Jesus or what his disciples said what a disciple was. 
So in Luke chapter 9, we see one of these, these passages. It's page 867 if you use one of the Bibles provided for you. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, we read this. This is Jesus saying this. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And we could go on here, but for time's sake, we're just going to stop there for right now. And so he's talking about whoever wants to come after me. Remember what we said what a disciple is? A disciple is a learner or a follower. So he says, if anyone wants to truly follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So first of all, a disciple of Jesus is learning to deny himself or herself. Now, in all of these points here, these six points here, we have it written out is learning too, because we want to communicate that it's a process, that we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about that people have attained all these things, because we all are in a process, and we're all in different places of growth in our spiritual walk. But it's a process that we should be actively involved in. And so we see here is that a a disciple of Jesus, if we claim to be a disciple of Jesus, if we claim to be a Christian, then this should be said of us. We should be able to say that I am learning, I am progressing in learning to to deny myself. Now, what does this mean? This has the idea of relinquishing control. This means all the decisions in life should be filtered through the question of what would God want? And so we have a propensity in our culture to not deny ourselves anything. In fact, it is, it is considered odd to deny ourselves something. In fact, it is about trying to get as much as we can. And Jesus says, no, a follower of mine, he puts his own side, his own wants aside because he says, you need to follow me. And that means the control of life. That means the decisions of life that you make are wrapped up in Jesus, not in self, in pursuit of self, in personal peace and happiness. Now, we're going to get into whether or not this is egotistical of Jesus to ask this in a few minutes. But for right now, let's just understand that what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you, if you claim to be a disciple of mine, deny yourself. But then he says this, he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, what is he talking about there? Some people look at this text, this verse, and they say things like, well, this is kind of those bad circumstances in life. You know, you, you, you have a job that you don't like, and, and, and you have a coworker that you have to see every day that just is really difficult for you to get along with and everything, and, 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 that's, and, and, that's, and, that's, and that's my cross. Believe me, I can understand with that illustration. I can relate to it. But, I'm just teasing, but here's the point. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Or someone say, you know, I've got this, this ailment, and, and, and this is just my cross to bear. I remember talking to a woman one time in a church I served at, not this one, but it was a previous one, and we were talking about this very issue of cross to bear, and I'm not, I'm not kidding. This is what she said. She goes, well, my cross to bear is my husband. Well, there's a happy marriage. <laughs> You know, there's my pastoral radar, bing, follow up with that conversation. 
Um, is that what Jesus was talking about here? No, I don't believe so because in the time where Jesus, he hadn't yet revealed to the disciples that he was going to die on the cross, but he knew what, but the disciples knew what a cross was at this time. It wasn't, it, 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 let me just say what it was. It was a symbol of pain, of suffering, of identification. It, it was, it was, it, it, it was, it was a bad thing. And so what, what Jesus was saying there is he's saying that, look, you have to take up his cross daily and follow me, understanding that they would have understood that Jesus would have meant that bearing shame or persecution or hardship or maybe even death because of their identification with Jesus Christ. This is what a disciple is called to. And so when we said, when we say the why of our existence, we are here to make disciples, we are not here just to get people to come and sit in the pews. And we're not here just to get people to say, yeah, I'll believe in Jesus. And then when hardship comes up, they're gone. No, what a disciple is, and if you and I claim to be disciples of Christ, then what we have said, is we have said that no matter what comes, no matter the persecution, no matter the difficulty, no matter the hardship, I'm going to identify with Jesus and I'm going to make it known that he is my God. That's a disciple. It's not someone who just comes to church and then leaves and then doesn't think about God the rest of the week. That's not a disciple of Christ. And if you think that is, you're just kidding yourself. See, a disciple of Christ is someone who denies himself takes up the cross daily and follows Jesus. We could say a lot more about this, and I, would, I meant to say this in the preface of this, is that whole sermons could be preached on these texts. And maybe someday they will be here, but today is not that day, so we need to move on. Luke chapter 14, just a few pages over to your right. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and following. This is page 874. This is a sobering text. So first of all, we saw that a disciple, a true disciple of Christ, is someone who is willing or is learning to deny himself or herself. Secondly, in Luke chapter 14, a disciple of Jesus is learning to prioritize Christ. Is learning to prioritize Christ. In verse 25 of Luke 14, it says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to, with 10,000, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That is a sobering text of Scripture there. I mean, there are some things that are written there that it seems like, Jesus, can you really mean this? Jesus, this, this seems unreasonable for you to ask this. He says three times in this text, if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. So he's basically saying, here is what it means to be a disciple. Here is what you have to have. And he says this in verse 26, 
does not hate his father or mother. So basically we have to hate our parents and our children and those whom we love. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Well, the reason is, is he says this in a, in a hyperbolic way to get us to understand the priority that we place on Jesus. Now, here's a principle of understanding and interpreting Scripture. Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture. And so we're told that children, we are to honor our parents, right? And so we see that in Ephesians chapter 6. We're told to love others as Christ loved the church. In fact, we're told even to love our enemies. And so we have all these other commands that Jesus himself gave at times. And, and so we put in this, is this contradicting what Jesus says here? No, but the point is, again, Jesus was using hyperbole here to say, look, you have to love me so much. You have to have me as first and foremost in your life that it just seems like all other relationships just pale in comparison to it. And so when you make decisions, you have to make decisions first about me rather than about your children. Now, I didn't fully understand the weight of that command until I became a parent. And now I realize that it is easy for parents to make decisions for the good of their kids by thinking of them first and not Jesus First, I spent about 15 years in youth ministry, and so I used to kind of shake my head most of those years. In fact, uh, almost all of those years were but when I didn't have children. And um, I used to kind of shake my head at some parents and how that they would parent their children. Well, after I had, parent, I had children, I became a little bit more sympathetic towards other parents. But the fact of the matter is, is that it does remain that parents make decisions about their children, thinking of their children first, without thinking about God, without thinking about Jesus. I know I've shared this story but with you before as a youth pastor once. I had a girl in the youth group. She was moved by the Spirit of God to go in the mission field. And she talked to her mother about it. And her mother discouraged her from that because of concerns for her daughter's safety. And in that moment, what the mother was doing is she was saying, I am prioritizing my daughter over Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is that if you're going to be a disciple of mine, I have to be first and foremost in your life. I have to be the one that you make decisions about. And that if, if, your, if your daughter or your son makes a decision that's contrary to the Scriptures, you go with the Scriptures. And I've seen this play out where children will make a decision that goes against the Scriptures, and instead of taking the, the time to say, no, no son, no daughter, what you're doing is wrong, and here's the reason why, they begin to adapt their thinking to accommodate the behavior of their child. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. And this is just one example of what he's saying, is the, of the priority of Christ in our life. So if we're a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to be learning and growing in our prioritization of Jesus in our lives above every other relationship. Every other relationship. Now, is this arrogant? Is this egotistical of Jesus to say this? Because if I walked into the room today and I said, listen, you know, I'm your pastor. And, you know, <clears throat> you, need to, you need to put me above everyone else in your life, all right? Um, you know, I'm tired of parking far away. We're going to get the closest spot for me here, 
and um, you whatever you do, you gotta you gotta think about me first, okay? Should I do this? Well, what would Jeremy want here? That that's what you gotta think. Now, if I start saying that to you, first of all, you're gonna think you know this guy's nuts, and then secondly, you're gonna look for a new church, okay? Um, and you should. If the pastor ever gets up and starts saying stuff like that, yeah, that, that's the time he's got to go. Why? Because that doesn't sound right. That's not right. That's arrogant. But Jesus here can say it, and it's not. And here's the reason why. First of all, because he's God. And he deserves all things. Okay, so, so, so the fact that it matters, the reason why I can't stand before you and demand allegiance, complete allegiance like that, but Jesus can, is because I'm not God. But Jesus is. So there's the easy reason. But the second reason is this, is not only is he God, he's good. And the fact that everything that Jesus commands and that he does is bound by his goodness. And so he cannot do evil. He cannot do wrong. So what I learned from that is that if Jesus is telling me to do this, then it is for my good that he says this. I will find true happiness and satisfaction if I listen to him because he is bound by his goodness. His nature uh, uh, defines his commands and and, and, and makes it so that it is actually for my good. As parents, for those of you who have children, you can understand this. Sometimes you ask your kids to do something or you have asked your children to do something that they don't want to do. But you know it's for their good. In fact, maybe some of you have tried to surprise your child with something and you've elaborated the scheme so that they would be surprised by this great trip to some place or whatever it is, and they weren't going along with it. And, and maybe it was, hey, we're going to get in the van and we're going to go someplace and it'll be a surprise. And the thing is that you have this idea of going to McDonald's and getting the Shamrock Shake, which it is available today in case you were wondering. <laughs> And so you think, okay, um, we're going to do this, and, and I know my kids are going to like this and everything. And yet your kid's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go in the van. You say, well, we're going to go on a quick errand. I don't want to. I want to stay home. And you're thinking the whole time, if you just do what I say, you will enjoy it. And it will be a blessing to you. And so you, we, we do this. But God, he has given us commands. So when Jesus says this, if anyone that comes after me does not hate his own father, mother, wife, or children, brothers and sisters, yea, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What he's saying here is he's saying that trust me on this. This is the path to true happiness. This is the path to satisfaction in life. And people are all over the world looking for satisfaction, looking for happiness. And they try to find it in all the, the wrong areas. I mean, even the people we look up to, the, the, the supermodels and the actors and the athletes, all these people who we think, man, they've got so much money, they don't even know what to do with. Michael Jordan, part of the greatest basketball player to ever play the game, just turned 53 years old a few days ago. About three years ago, they did an interview on him when he turned 50 years old. He has six championships. He has more money than he knows what to do with. And he basically told the interviewer he was miserable because he had no happiness. And we look for happiness in all the wrong places. And Jesus says, look, you make me number one in your life, you will find happiness, you will find satisfaction. And it may not be in terms of money and wealth and things like that, but you will find true happiness and satisfaction. So a disciple is learning to prioritize Christ. So for the sake of our discipleship, we need to do that. So when we say this is the reason why we're here, we're, trying, we're here to make disciples, what we need to be doing is we need to be honest with people. And the prosperity gospel that's out there is just damaging. 
Prosperity gospel, if you don't know, teaches that, well, basically God wants everyone to be rich and happy and healthy. Now, the people, the ironic thing about the prosperity gospel is the only ones who are really rich are the ones that are preaching it. And so we have this, this, this false teaching there that says that, no, this is the way to happiness and that God is just going to do that. But in fact, God, is, he has so much bigger plan for us. The way of discipleship is not always easy, but we need to prioritize Christ. And so here's, here's what you need to do. You need to ask yourself, in the decisions that you are making in the relationships you have, is Christ first and foremost? In their discipleship, when we're trying to make disciples, that's the message we've got to communicate, not this easy believism of, okay, just say this prayer, and then you're in, and then, whew, oh, man, okay, now you don't have to go to hell, you pray the sinner's prayer, awesome, and then we forget about it. That's not making disciples. And that's not true discipleship. We must move on. Go over to John, John chapter 8, please. John 8. Again, more time can be spent on each of these points. I'm probably spending too much on them already, but it's a lot of data here. But John 8 and verse 31. A disciple of Jesus is learning to be committed to Jesus' teachings. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you know the truth, and truth will set you free. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And so a disciple of Jesus has learned to be committed to Jesus' teaching. The word abide there has the idea or it means to remain or to stay. It says, stay in my word. Remain in what I've commanded. Obey what I've said is basically what he said. You've got to make this priority in your life. My words, Jesus said, if, if you abide in my word, that is proof of discipleship. Because a true disciple of mine will be convicted by the word and will be drawn to the word. And a true disciple of Jesus Christ will say that this is our guide. See, we're really good at justifying our own actions and our own sins and our own lives. But what Jesus is saying here is he says, don't go with any self-justification. Don't go with anything else but my word. Abide in my word. This means that all of life's decisions need to be filtered through the grid of God's Word. It's not, just, it's not enough to just memorize verses. A true disciple takes the verses memorized and applies them to daily life. And so when we're encouraging people in our discipleship programs here at church to memorize verses, it's not enough to just, that they remember these verses, they memorize these verses. That's good, and that's awesome. And, 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 and a lot of the Bible memory that I have to this day, I owe it to the children's programs that I was in when I was in, 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 in church as a young boy. And I'm thankful for that. But what I want to say is I just want to be very clear with us that just because people can memorize verses does not mean they're true disciples of Jesus Christ. And so it's more than that. It's we've got to take the time to then help people abide in the Word and apply it to their lives and connect it to their daily activities in their, in their lives. Just the other day, my, my wife was talking with Mia, and I was really proud of my wife because she was doing this. Mia was, was talking about something and doing something. I can't remember the particulars, but she was doing something, and, and it, was, it was wrong. And, and so my wife says, hey, remember that verse you were working on in Cubbies, Mia? Yeah. She said, well, this is why it's so important. And she connected it to me as activity in that moment. 
was proud of my wife. I said, this is it. This is, this is, this is disciple making. See, it's easy for parents sometimes to say, okay, go memorize verses and whew, no, you, you, the job is just beginning there at that point. We got to help people, not just children, other people apply verses in scripture to our individual lives. Because what is that? What is that? That's abiding in Christ's teaching. It's remaining there. It's letting the word of God remain and rest upon us and change us and dictate our lives. So a disciple of Jesus is learning to be committed to Jesus' teachings. Fourthly, a disciple of Jesus is learning to be committed to telling others about Jesus. Go ahead and go back to Matthew's Gospel. Go to chapter 9. We've already read chapter 28, 19, and 20, so we won't read that. But that will inform this point here as well. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, this is page 814, and the Bible's provided for you if you're using them. A disciple of Jesus is learning to be committed to telling others about Jesus. Now, see, again, let me just stop and remind us why we're doing this this morning. We're going through and trying to say if the reason of our existence, the why, that inner circle, the, the, the hub the, that says why we're here is to make disciples, we've got to be clear on what it is we're trying to make. We've got to be clear on what it is that we say we are. If I were to take a survey and say, how many of you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I dare say most of us, if not all of us, would probably say, yeah, I claim that. Well, here's what we're trying to do this morning. We're trying to say, are we truly progressing in our discipleship? Because I think that we need to to progress in our progression, uh, in in our process of discipleship. Matthew 9, verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, let's go back to verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The point of this text that I wanted to highlight is the compassion element of this. It means we should have compassion and pray for other people's souls. We should have a willingness to go and teach other people. This should be what our lives are about. What Jesus was saying there, he was, he was moved with compassion about seeing all the people there. And so he turns to the disciples who were following him, and he said, listen, you need to pray. And it was out of a compassionate heart that we see in this text here. He says, we need to pray and ask that people would go out and tell people about me. Because I'm their answer. In Matthew 28, we read it earlier, make disciples, go into all the world. So a disciple, a true disciple of Christ is progressing in this and should be growing in their compassion and their desire to see other people saved. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, 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 I had a perfect example of this uh, the other day. I think it was on Friday. I was on the phone with Beth Stahlmacher telling her I was praying for her and, and trying to catch up on, on all what was happening down there in Missouri. And she began to tell me a little bit about her mother. I've never met, I've never met her mother. Uh, I didn't know anything about her. I just knew from a previous conversation that she was a believer in Christ. And so she began to tell me a little bit about, about her mom's life and, and about how she was someone who was always telling people about Jesus. Uh, uh, she w- involves herself in different uh, areas of the community so she would have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And so they're going over uh, the, the plan 
for the funeral and uh, Beth's mother Judy had had worked with the funeral home ahead of time and and made the plan. And it's interesting when you fill, they have these forms a lot of times that you, you can fill out and they ask questions about what you would like done at your funeral. And I've done this with individuals as well of, you know, getting, you know, special songs down, verses, memories, tributes, things like that, that uh, it can have a plan in place for this. And Beth's mother had this, uh, thankfully. And so some of you saw what Beth posted on Facebook, and I put the picture up here for you. This is the plan that Beth's mom had. And she says down there, do not talk about me, tell about Jesus. That's a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Someone who in their last wish says, I want people to know about Jesus. Don't waste your time talking about my life, but talk about Jesus. You see, this is what a true disciple is. Someone who has compassion for other people and has a desire to tell other people about Christ. And so what we got to do is we got to stop and say, am I progressing in this, in my pilgrimage on this earth? Not am I perfect? I'm not asking, has anyone done this perfectly or are you there yet? Because none of us are there. We all miss opportunities and we all have sin that keeps us from doing this. But a true disciple of Christ will see progression over time in this. This is what we're asking people to do. We make disciples, we say, look, this is part of discipleship here. Let's go over to John chapter 13 for our fifth idea of what a disciple is. John 13. This is page 900 in the Bibles there. Fifthly, a disciple of Jesus is learning to love others. He's learning to love others. He says in verse 34 of John 13, he says, A new command I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You you show me someone who claims to be a disciple of Christ that does not love other people, and I'll show you a liar. Because the Scriptures are very clear here that we are to love one another. And that's a mark of discipleship. And the reason why I think it's a mark of discipleship is because naturally most of us are not bent towards loving other people. Other people are annoying. Other people drive us nuts. But yet God does a supernatural work in us that gives us actually compassion and love for other people. And that's only can be attributed to God. And he says, if you, this is how people will know that you're my disciple, that you have love for one another. So disciples learning to love others. And notice he says, Learn just as I have loved you, verse 34. So we're to love others in the same way that Jesus showed love to us. I mean, how did he do it? He was, he was sacrificial. He was caring. He was compassionate. He was kind. He told the truth. He helped people. We could go on and on about this idea of love. And you know, love is, this is one of the predominant commands in all the New Testament. I came across this graphic the other day. Those colors, those, those, the, the little bubbles there, if you will, kind of represent all the different commands that are, are given in the New Testament uh, or a good sampling of them. And you probably can't see it too well, um, 
But, uh, you know, there's verses listed underneath them. So the size of the bubble kind of has an indication over the amount of times those ideas are expressed in the New Testament. Love is the big red one around it. It's amazing how many times in Scripture we see over and over again the command to show love to one another. You see, this is a mark of a true disciple of Christ. And so are you progressing in that? And as we are growing and as we're trying to make disciples here, are we impressing upon others the need to show love and kindness to one another? You see, this is all discipleship. It's not about, okay, I'm a believer. I show up to church. I, I, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. If that's your testimony of discipleship, I would implore you to really look at that. Because the Scriptures teach something different. And when we're trying to make disciples... We can't be satisfied with just getting someone to memorize a verse or, 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 or saying that they believe in Jesus and moving on because it's much more deeper than that as we're seeing here. This idea of loving one another. Finally, a disciple of Jesus is learning to abide in Christ. John 15, just a page over, it says this in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches that are gathered are thrown into fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. A disciple of Jesus is learning to abide in Christ, remain in Christ, stay committed to Christ, bearing fruit as the Scriptures teach. Bearing fruit is proof of discipleship. So that's why it's not enough for us as parents just to cling to a prayer that our children make. Recently, my daughter told me that in night, one night, she was laying in bed by herself and she prayed and asked God for a new heart. And she said, God, I need a new heart. I need, uh, and I need you to save me. Would you do that? And I was happy to hear that. But then she said, but dad, I was surprised. I was a little confused because when I woke up, I was not in heaven. She thought that when you believed in Jesus, this is a four-year-old mind, almost five, saying that if I believe in Jesus, if I, if I ask him to save me and take me to heaven, he'll do it immediately. That was what her thought was. Now, I, I'm a little happy about that, that she was willing to uh, leave mom and dad and, and be transported to heaven. And then she told me the reason why it was because there was horses there. Um, <laughs> so Anouk and I are talking about this. Anouk says, is our daughter a Christian? And I said, I don't know. I said, but we'll just have to wait. For fruit. And we will encourage her. I didn't tell her in that moment, now you don't understand. 
said, that's good, sweetie. That's good, sweetie. But I didn't say, oh, I'm so glad that you're a Christian. Why didn't I say that? It's too early. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, when I come to this text of Scripture right here, it says that the discipleship is proved by abiding in Christ. That means over time. That means discipleship is proved over time. It's not proved in a moment decision. And so as we're trying to make disciples here, we need to be not satisfied with just getting people to say something and agree to something. This is not a sales pitch. We're trying to have people's lives changed over time. And when we're examining our discipleship, are we abiding in Christ over time? See, this is, this is the heart of the matter here. I, I, I've been involved in church my whole life. I've, I've, uh, I, I've, I can't remember a time of not being part of a church. And so consequently, and then even in high school, I, I, I found myself uh, uh, you know, uh, str- striving towards leadership and things like that. And so I was able to sit in on some behind-the-scenes meetings and, and, and kind of get a little bit more information than, than probably most teenagers did. But here's the thing is I, I, I've seen this over and over again in every church I've been a part of including this one, that there are people in the church that think they're disciples of Jesus, but have very little fruit to show that they are disciples of Jesus Christ. I take no joy in saying that. It rips my heart out. So I'm just pleading with all of us. Are we disciples of Christ? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that our works is what save us. Okay, We cannot misunderstand this point. It's not if you do good things, then you are a disciple. It, a disciple, will do good things. Okay, does, that, does that make sense? I don't want anyone to misunderstand the point here. The point is not you've got to do more things, thereby then God will make you a disciple. No, if God makes you a disciple, if there's been a transformation, a conversion in your life, that will change you to do a better life, to put it in those terms. And I don't really like that, but that's how I'll go with today. So I, I just don't want anyone to misunderstand that. See, a disciple of Christ is someone who abides in Christ. So, consequently, we need to ask ourselves a few questions here. And then we'll hurry through the last couple points. Am I a true disciple of Christ? That's what we've been asking today. Do I actively pursue my discipleship and the discipleship of others? Am I pursuing my own discipleship, growth in Christ, Am I learning? Am I following Christ? And am I helping other people do that? I've put this graphic up before. The line, your name line. Fill in the blanks. Okay? Your name is in the middle. Who's pouring into you to help you become a disciple of Christ? And who are you pouring into to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? We all should be able to put names on those lines. Because that's what we're called to do. The third and final question to ask is, is... MBC is our church. Are we producing true disciples of Jesus Christ? That's what we have to ask ourselves. As, as lead pastor here, this is what I've been obsessing over for the last several months. We've had lots of discussions with this, uh, Mike and I, with the deacons, and we've been just really wrestling with this question of are we producing disciples of Jesus Christ? Let me walk us through the other two circles pretty quickly. We'll come back to this another point, but we need to, to do this. I know what the time is. We'll move through this quickly here, so don't worry. The second circle there is the how. We wanted to spend the majority of our time this morning in that first circle of the why. Why is it that we exist? Now, the second one, as we work our way out, is how. 
How are we, or how do we propose to make disciples here at our church? Well, there's really four G's, okay, that, 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 that we're using. This is not original with me. Um, I've known of other churches that have used these same four G's. So, you know, this, this, this pithy little way of putting this, um, it, it gives, I gotta give credit to someone. I just don't know who to give credit to. Um, but, uh, one of my professors actually, they use it at his church and I've seen it other places. The first G is gather. Gather. Discipleship does not happen in isolation. It, it, it just can't happen. The way that God's designed it is so that it happens in a community. So therefore, we will be committed to gathering together. The, the second G is grow. Discipleship is a process, and this is what we've been talking about, so we don't need to spend a lot of time on this. But therefore, we will be committed to personal growth and the growth of other people. Everyone's like, yes, second page, finally. Third G is give. Third G is give. And again, we'll come back to this at another time. But discipleship is costly. Therefore, we'll give our time, we'll give our talents, we'll give our finances for the purpose of making disciples. Discipleship is costly. It's costly of ourselves, of our priorities, and it's costly of helping other people do it. The final one is go. Discipleship requires intentionality. Therefore, we will be purposeful about going out and making disciples, whether that be locally or globally. We'll take the model of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the othermost parts of the earth. Work our way out. So this is the how. So here's the reason is, is we start with the why. Why is the reason? We've got to have, we have to have clarity on this. We all have to say, this is why. So if someone says, why does your church exist? We should say to make disciples. Boom. That, that should be so clear. How? This is where we get a little, little kind of pithy and say, how are we going to do this? And so we kind of establish these kind of four broad categories here to, to get this done. The, the how of this. So that leads us to the third circle then, and this is the what, okay? So if we have the why, why we exist, and then we have the how, how are we going to do this? What is the, all the things that we're doing, the actual tangible things that we're doing to make this happen? So ideally, all of these, whatever these what's are, and these are all the various ministries of our church, they should fit under the categories of those four G's of gather, grow, give, and go. And so we have all these different ministries of our church that are gathered here for the purpose of, uh, of making disciples. And so for gathering, that's why we have corporate meetings like this. For growing, this is why we have nursery and Sunday school, adult discipleship hour, and other children's ministries such as Awana. For giving, that's why we have an offering box out there, and we have the expectation uh, that the members of our church will use their time and talent to aid in the discipleship of others. The go, this is the reason why we have global missions. Now, it's, an, it's important to remember, there's a few things that are important to remember. The first one is this, is that the why doesn't change. Okay, The why should never change. The how should rarely change. How we do that. The what can change often, okay? And so we need to remember that the why, the reason of our existence, and, we, and we're going to get into some dangers here in just a second here, but we just got to keep the order in mind, and, we're gonna, and hopefully this will come together, the reason why this is so important here. Dangers to avoid. Let me give you three real quickly here. First danger is this, 
that thinking lots of what, all the different ministries, equal why being accomplished. So because we have a, a lot of activity in our church, a lot of ministries and things like that, then, then the why, which is discipleship, which is making disciples, then that necessarily must be an accomplished. And the fact of the matter is this is not true. We can just be really busy and not making disciples. So we need to be constantly evaluating whether or not what we are doing is really accomplishing the why of making disciples. So the way we are doing Sunday school isn't accomplishing the why of making disciples. What about adult discipleship hour? What about Awana? How is nursery contributing to the discipleship of our church? These are all questions that we just got to be asking ourselves and evaluating because just because we have activity doesn't mean that the why is necessarily happening. First and foremost, when it talks about discipleship, I, I just wanted to say this parenthetically here, we need to understand that our children's discipleship happens at home and the programs of the church are to be supplemental, not primary means of discipleship. We can't outsource the discipleship of your children. If I had to manage my time better this morning, I would be able to talk more about that. But the second danger to avoid is the imbalance of the how. Imbalance of the how. Those are those four G's again. So it's easy to maybe be only concerned about gathering, but ignore going. Or maybe our strength is giving, which I think it is a strength in our church, by the way, but maybe not going or gathering. We need to have some serious evaluation of how we are making disciples. So basically what I'm trying to do this morning, again, I told you it's a different type of sermon. I'm trying to walk you through the leader's minds here of, okay, this is what we're doing, this is why we're here, and this is how we're trying to get there. So this evaluation, the imbalance of the how, we should maybe we're strong in one area, but we're not strong in the other areas, which I think going is a weakness of ours. And so we need to improve upon that. The third danger to avoid is confusing the what and the why. Now, what do I mean by that? So, remember I said the why never changes. The how rarely changes and the what can change often. Here's the point. Leaders see this from inside out. Other people often see this whole idea from outside in. They see first, what are we doing? Oh, how are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Where leaders say, why are we doing this? How are we going to do it? And what are we going to do to make that happen? And so what I'm asking this to be, I'm asking to think like leaders here. But see, what happens is, is sometimes the why and the what get confused. So here's, here's for instance. If we change a program, people react as if we're changing the why. And we actually had that happen here not too long ago. We changed a little bit of how we were going to do the youth ministry uh, with the teens. And we moved it. At that time, it was moved from Wednesday night to Sunday night. And the reason why was because we needed more workers in Wednesday night Awana. And we thought that would be a good way for the teens to serve in that. And so we moved it to Sunday night. Well, man, we I had a lot of people upset about that. And and uh, I, had, uh, I had a few people have the conversation. And, and, and we even had people break fellowship uh, with that being a contributing factor. And what was happening? The why and the what were confused. Because we were still trying to make disciples. We were just going to do it in a different way. But the, the goal was to make disciples of our teens. But we changed the way we did it. 
And so that why and that what got confused. And that's a danger to avoid here. So all I'm saying is you say, okay, Jeremy, are you setting us up for some radical change in our church? I know, I can feel the, I can feel the, where is he going with this? No, I'm not. I, I don't have anything that I'm hiding behind and saying, okay, we're going to then, boom, not do this anymore. Or we're going to cancel this. No, we're, we're, we're not that place. But what I am saying is that we need to make sure that we are willing to evaluate everything that we do and be willing to change it if, if we can do something better. That's all I'm saying at this point, okay? And, and honest to God, you, you, can, you can ask Mike, you can ask Rob, you can ask anyone else. If I'm really hiding behind an agenda, I'm not, okay? But the point is, is that we need to be willing to evaluate everything. We can't confuse the why and the what. Because the why is so important to us. Let me conclude by giving you these benefits real quickly here. Why is this so important? Well, keeping the why primary enables us to have joy in serving. The truth is we need more people to help in nursery. I put that in an email yesterday. It's not the most enjoyable job, but when we connect it to the why of making disciples, then we can serve with joy. You know, when we got to understand that when we can understand that it is the reason why we're down in that room or people are down in that room is so that people up here can be um, uh, hearing God's word and being in their discipleship, being strengthened. And, and that's the reason for being down there. It's not just to babysit kids. It's not just to clean up after children. It's not just to keep noise down. It's, it's, it's an actual part of the why of making disciples. Then, then people can serve in that ministry with, with greater joy. And I hope they're having joy today, given that this is a longer service. Number two, more can be said, but keeping the why primary enables us to be honest and objective in our evaluations. Keeping the why primary enables us to be honest and objective in our evaluations. So some of us have great attachments to certain types of ministry. But if we, instead of focusing on that, if we say, well, if the main thing is to make disciples, then we can be honest in how we're evaluating what we're doing. So this keeps us from the pitfall of evaluating a ministry solely on the basis of the number of participants. So if we had a ministry where 70 people came to it, but it's not producing disciples, we don't congratulate ourselves, we tweak the ministry. And so, but a lot of times we're so focused on the what of, look, there's a lot of people here. must be doing good. Whereas, no, 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 we need to be more intentional than that. We need to say, is this really helping people in their discipleship process? So it's not just enough that people show up. We refuse to be satisfied with warm bodies. We believe that God desires transformation. And so that's what we're going to work towards. This also helps us maximize our resources. We have 110 adult members in our church. Our total church population, so this includes kids and regular tenders, is about 185. 30% of that number, 30% of, of 185 is sixth grade and under. Okay? That's a lot of kids. So Awana is understaffed. Nursery is understaffed. And the reason why is because we only have 110 adult members, and we have a whole bunch of kids. And then in some of those ministries, we have a bunch of kids that aren't even part of our church coming as well. So considering nursery right now, I mentioned this in the email, so I'll mention it again right now. 
we need eight people for the younger nursery during this service right now, and we only have seven, so we have one spot open. We need eight people for the older nursery during this service right now, and as of March 1st, we have zero. So we're going to have to make some changes there. We, have eight, we need eight people for Sunday school nursery, and we have six right now. So we need 11 new people in order just to keep status quo. So if we're going to ask for more volunteers, we need to make sure that it's not just to keep what we have going, what we've always done, and keep it afloat, but it's rather because the ministry is crucial to disciple-making. So if I'm going to go out there and start really twisting people's arms, you need to get involved in this, you need to get involved in this, I need to make sure that this is truly a disciple-making ministry. And I think that the nursery is. And we can talk about, and that's just an example. Consequently, this helps us prioritize our efforts. So if we only have a limited number of workers, where do we ask people to serve? Should we tweak our current discipleship efforts if we're not able to staff all of them? I believe it's better to do a few well than many poorly. And so if we have a limited number of resources, this helps us prioritize that. Number three, the benefit, keeping the why primary enables us to be more creative and accept change more readily. The reality is that change is necessary. Maybe sometime I'll unpack the theological grounds for expecting and embracing change, but for now we just need to know that change is imperative if we're going to grow. And keeping the why primarily helps us with that. And finally, keeping the why primary will produce true disciples of Jesus Christ. We will be more intentional with what we do. We will be more prayerful with what we do. And we will be more in awe of what God does. So we start in the middle of this circle here. You see it up on the screen, the circles there. We start in the middle and we work our way out. The mistake that many churches make is focusing on the outside ring to neglect of the inside ring. The inside ring is what informs what we do, though. And so when that happens... We're just like the church of Sardis in Revelation. If we're only focusing on the outside ring and not the inside ring, it's just like the church in Revelation. It says this, I know your works. You have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. That's why we need to focus on the why. We're here to make disciples. I appreciate everyone's extended patience this morning and pray for the nursery workers that they, have, uh, that they don't have a, a, a hatred spirit towards me. But I thought it was important, and I, I, I couldn't split it up, so I appreciate your patience. Let's be a church that focuses on the why. And we'll talk more about this. Father, again, we want to say thank you for the opportunity to, to look at this. There's a lot more data today, and um, I just pray that it would have been helpful. You know, we do things differently sometimes. This was a different type of message, sermon. It's not typical, and... But I pray it be helpful. We, we just commit it to you, and we just ask that, that you would be uh, pleased. We're thankful for what you're doing. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.